We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. reading from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went into their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, a time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can take your seats. As our musicians grab their seats for just a few moments, I feel like we should just give them a huge round of applause. I almost robbed them of a song this morning because I was so excited to get up here after that last Luke 2 reading that I started walking up on stage and the drummer looked at me and said, we still have another song to sing. So I'm glad we got that one in because that, that was a good one. Um, all right, my name is Brent and I'm one of the pastors here and I want to welcome all of you who are here worshiping with us in person this morning as well as those of you who are worshiping with us online. If today is your first time at our church or maybe it's your first time in any church in a long time, or maybe it is your first time in church ever. We are so glad that you're here. One of the things we say often about our church is that we, we want to be a church not just for ourselves, but for those who are not yet convinced of the claims of Christianity. And so if that's you, we want you to know that this is a church for you. 
that it is a church where you can come with all of your questions and all of your doubts. We make no assumption that everybody here this morning is convinced of the things that we've been singing and reading about this morning. Uh, but we actually think that the best place to really wrestle through your doubts and deal with your questions is to do it inside the church, is to do it with other Christians. So we're glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll come again. Uh, if you have not been with us the last couple weeks, let me just kind of catch you up to speed very quickly. We're in the middle of an a Advent sermon series, a Christmas sermon series that we're call it, calling Longing. And, uh, you know, culturally, we've made Christmas all about lots of other things. We've made it about parties and presents and peppermint mochas and watching Elf for the 50th time. And I love all of those things. I love me some Elf. Those are all good things, but none of them are really what Christmas is actually about. Christmas is about something so much bigger and so much better. Uh, according to Christianity, Christmas is about longing. It's about our deepest longings. It is about our deepest hopes, our deepest desires, and how they find their ultimate fulfillment in what happened at Christmas. And I've said this each week during this series, that Christmas is not for happy people. Christmas is for hungry people. It is people who feel like they are in the valley of life, who, who are in the midst of suffering or heartache or disappointment or depression or loneliness, and you find yourself longing for something more. And it's for people who are on the mountaintop of life, who life is going pretty well for you, and your career has gone well, and your relationships have gone well, and maybe you've got the marriage or the family that you've always wanted, and yet despite all of these good things, you still have this sense that something is missing in your life, and you are longing for more. Christmas is for hungry people. It is for people who long to be filled. Now, what are these longings Christmas actually speaks to? This is what we've been looking at each week. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at our longing for love. Every single human being, made in God's image, made for love. We long for it. We crave it. We seek it. It drives so much of our life. Last week, we talked about our longing for hope. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at our longing for joy. But this morning, we're going to talk about our longing for peace. Christmas is about the promise of peace. Now, we actually just sang about it in the last song. His law is love, and his gospel is peace, was the line. And before we sang about it, we actually read a passage from Luke 2, which is the passage we're looking at for the next few moments, where the angels sing about it. Did you catch this? If you turn back in your worship guide to page 6, and you look at verse 14, the angels announce to the shepherds the birth of Christ, and then they break out into song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. I mean, isn't that interesting? We've, we've made Christmas about all of these other things, and yet right here at the very first Christmas, what we're being told is that Christmas is about the promise of peace. And we long for peace. I mean, if, if, if you know yourself at all, you know that you long for peace. We long for external peace. We, we, we long, what do I mean by that? We long for peace in our world. We long for oppression and wars to cease. Uh, we long for peace in our city. 
I mean, there is so much violence and unrest in our city right now. There is not peace in Oakland. There is anger. There is injustice. There is hostility. Don't you long for it to end? We long for peace in our relationships. We long for, for, for hurts to be healed and relationships to be restored. We, we long not just for external peace, we long for internal peace. Robert Leahy, who's a psychologist, and he's the director of the American Institute of Cognitive Therapy, he says that we live in the age of anxiety. He says that we are a nation of nervous wrecks. We're anxious people. We're, we're worried about our future and our finances and our love relationships and our career. We're worried about our health and our children and our retirement. Don't you long to be free of anxiety and fear? What if you could go a single day without feeling those things? We long for peace. Don't you long for what the Apostle Paul calls in Philippians chapter 4, the peace that transcends all understanding? What if you could have an internal peace that no matter what trials or difficulties life brought your way, there is always this sense of inner rest, inner calm, inner peace. So we long, we long for peace. And Christmas says that you can have it. But what if I told you that the peace that Christmas offers is not an external peace? And it's not an internal peace, but it's actually the promise of an entirely different peace. And what if I told you that this was the peace you actually, you and I, longed for and needed more than any other peace? And maybe you're thinking, what peace could we possibly need more than peace outside in the world and in our city and in our relationships and in our own lives? The answer is the peace that the angels are singing about in Luke chapter 2. What is that peace? The hint comes in the very first thing that the angels say to the shepherds. It's in verse 10. Do not be afraid. The only reason you tell someone to not be afraid is if they're afraid. Why are the shepherds afraid? They're afraid because every single time that God shows up in the Old Testament, people are terrified. We see this in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And the angel says to him, don't come any closer or you'll die. The same thing happens on Mount Sinai when Moses encounters God. The same thing happens in Isaiah chapter 6 when the prophet Isaiah encounters God in the temple. To be in God's presence was anxiety inducing because God is holy and righteous and he is at war with all sin and evil. And so there was reason to be afraid. But do you see this? That right here in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus shows up, the angels say, do not be afraid. What does that mean? It means that Christmas changed everything. It means that the old reasons to be afraid of God no longer exist. It means that where we once had fear, we can now have peace. The, the, the peace that the angels are singing about 
It's not an external peace, and it's not an internal peace, but it is a relational peace. It's not a peace inside of us, it's not a peace outside of us, but it is a peace between us and God. This is something so much different than what Paul, we just talked about this, than what Paul talks about in Philippians 4 when he talks about having the peace of God. No, this is saying that you can have peace with God. And we're going to sing about it in just a moment when we sing the famous Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's a line in there that says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That is the peace that we need. We need to be reconciled with God. And Christmas says... We need that peace more than we need any other peace. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and guess that there's more than just a couple people in this room that are thinking, are you kidding me? How could we possibly need that peace more than we need peace in our world, peace in our city, peace in ourselves? Peace with God, Pastor, that is just... That's just religious jargon. How about some peace that actually can help things? Do you know what peace with God means? The angels actually tell us. Look at the very next, look at the very, look at their song again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's what peace with God means. It means that you get God's favor. It means that God does not just tolerate you, but God loves you. He delights in you. He cherishes you. He treasures you. He takes pleasure in you. His affections for you run wild. You have his smile. You have his favor. This is, this is what the angel says to Mary in Luke 1. We read this passage earlier. What is he, see what he called her? He said, greetings, highly favored one. That's what Christmas means. That's what peace with God means. You have his favor. And you know, for some of us in this room, it is so much easier for us to believe that God is mad at us or that, or that we need to be afraid of him than it is to believe that God could ever feel this way about us. And one of the ways that you know whether or not you really understand Christmas and the Christian gospel is whether or not you have a deep sense of God's favor over you. Philip Yancey is a Christian author. He tells the story of one time when he was visiting his mom as an adult. And she started pulling out all of these old pictures of him when he was a young child. And she pulled out this one picture of him when he was just a couple months old. And the picture was all crumpled up. And he asked her, what's this one all about? And she said to him, when you were 10 months old, your father was diagnosed with polio. He only lived three more months and he spent all three of those months in an iron lung. Now, a lot of us in this room were too young to remember what an iron lung is. But this is when you had polio, they stuck you in one of these 
capsules. Basically, it was a body capsule to help you breathe and to try to help you survive. And you would lie in this little capsule on your back, sometimes for months at a time. And Philip Yancey's mom told him that his dad had actually taken that picture of him and taped it just above his eyes in that iron lung so that he could look at it all day long. And what Philip Yancey said is that he said the experience of discovering that somebody thought about him and loved him that much was the exact same experience that he had when he became a Christian. And he realized that God thought about him and loved him so much. You see, what if you believed God loved you like this? What if you believed that you had such peace with God that his favor rested on you? What would that lead to in your life? You know what it would lead to? It would lead to radical internal peace. If you think about it, so much of our worry and anxiety comes from the fact that we believe we do not have God's love and approval. We do not believe that God is good and we do not believe that God is for us. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying the more that you understand peace with God, the more you will experience the peace of God. Because when you believe that God is your father and he loves you, you have a new capacity to trust him no matter what life brings to you, no matter how hard or dark things get. Peace with God leads to radical internal peace. It also leads to radical external peace. Please hear this. Biblical peace is not merely individual. It is not just a you and Jesus thing. It is inherently social. It is inherently political. And it is inherently relational. People who have peace with God will not be at peace with the way things are in the world. Christmas is meant to be a challenge to those of us who live very comfortable and very protected lives, whose lives are shielded from suffering and injustice because of our money or because of where we live in the city or because of the structures and the institutions that are around us or because of opportunity or education that we've had in life. And in Christmas is meant to challenge all of us to seek justice and to be peacemakers in our city and in those structures and in all of our relationships. You see, peace with God, this is what I want you to hear this morning. Peace with God is the peace that you and I need more than any other peace, but it leads to all these other kinds of peace. And the question that we should all be asking is, how do you get this peace? How do you get it? How does it come into your life? Soren Kierkegaard, who was, a, he was a Danish philosopher, and he struggled with belief in God for many years until one day he had what he described as a profound conversion experience. Christianity became real to him. 
Jesus became real to him. And the reason Christianity became real to him was because of Christmas. He writes about it this way. He says, imagine there was a powerful king who loved a humble maiden. She had no royal pedigree, no education, no standing in the court. She was a peasant dressed in rags. But for reasons no one could ever quite figure out, the king loved her. But how, the king wondered, should he reveal his love to this peasant girl? How could he bridge the chasm of station and position that separated them? He was a man of immense power. Everyone trembled before him. And if he were to approach her directly, she would have no power to resist. But he knew that all the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart. It must be opened from the inside. What then could the king do? He could try to bridge the chasm between them by elevating her to his position. But if he brought her to his palace and she saw all the wealth and the power and pomp of his greatness, then she would be overwhelmed. How could he know if she loved him and not just his gifts? And how could she know that he loved her still, even if she had remained only a humble peasant? The king realized there was only one way to reveal his love. And so he rose He left his throne, removed his crown, relinquished his scepter, and laid aside his royal robes. He took upon himself the life of a peasant. He dressed in rags, scratched out a living in the dirt, groveled for food. He did not just take on the outward appearance of a servant. It became his actual life, his nature, his burden. Kierkegaard says he became as ragged as the one he loved so that he might win the one he loves. For it was the only way. What Soren Kierkegaard says is that's the story of Christmas. And it is. The Prince of Heaven left his kingdom. And he laid aside his throne and his glory and his power. And he didn't just become human, but he became a peasant. He became a servant. He was born in the poorest of situations. And he lived his life poor. And he lived a life of peace. He sought justice for the oppressed. And he showed mercy to all who wronged him. He was, Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. And he was the only one who had perfect internal peace. He was the only one who perfectly trusted God, who never worried. Until the night before his death. When what the Gospels tell us, that Jesus was overcome with anxiety and dread... Because he knew that the peace that he had always had and the favor he had always known, he would lose on the cross. Why did he do it? Christmas says he did it for you. It says he did it for me. It says that he did it for us. It says that he did it so that we can have peace with God and so that we can experience the love and favor of God. And so I want to just end by asking you this morning, where are you with this peace? Do you know it? Do you have it? A moral person hopes they have peace with God. A religious person hopes they have peace with God. But a Christian knows they have peace with God. And it is not because of anything that they have done, but it is because everything that Christ has done 
for you in his birth and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Do you hope you have God's favor or do you know? Do you hope God loves you or do you know? Christmas says you can know. And if you've never known it, if you've never known it, you can know it this morning. Right here and right now. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the great hope of Christmas, that you have come to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, which is make peace between us and you. Father, our lives are so riddled with fear, with worry, with anxiety, and we so desperately need to know that there is a God who sees us and knows us and is for us and is in complete control of our lives. And so would you help us this morning to believe that because of what Christ has done, we have peace with you and that we can know this peace. And I pray for those in this room this morning who've never known it, that they would know it today. And for others of us who do know it, would you so flood our lives with this peace that we would be sent out into our city to be agents of peace, to be peacemakers, to be people who care about the poor and who care about injustice and who see all of the ways that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. But because Jesus has come and because he will one day come again and bring his peace in full and make all things new, Would you help us to be people of peace here and now? We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.